Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And you know I love to bring you exciting guests each week so that we can gain from their wisdom and their knowledge and what they've learned as they've gone through life. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Eric Strafel, CEO of Molecular Testing Labs and founder of Summit. He brings years of experience and leadership with a Fortune 50 company and is sharing his knowledge with business owners today to help them scale. So thanks for joining us today, Eric. Yeah, thanks for having me, Casey. You know, one of the first questions I like to ask is, how did we get connected? And let me tell you why, and I'm sure you know this as being the great businessman that you are, networking is everything. Yes, yeah. So how did we get connected? So through Success North Dallas, Shelly Howlett, who was the president of Summit, connected us, which was amazing. You know, I, I met Shelly through WPO, Women's Presidents Organization, mm-hmm. and uh, she, uh, we presented one of our Summit programs, uh, loved what Shelly was doing. She had just sold her business and so brought her in to lead Summit, who, which led me to you and this opportunity. So in the business that she had just sold? BNI. So BNI is another networking, another orga- networking big business, or- yes. networking organization. Yep, yep, so very successful for a couple of decades now. Yeah, that yep. is incredible. And I and I love, you know, part of what I do is with our young executives through Success North Dallas. And I love like connecting these dots for them because it's like a spider web that just keeps yes. growing. And you, you never keep- know. No, you, you never don't. Know. You never yep. know. I had one lady, I'll tell you just a quick story about that because it's a great, you never know. Somebody had introduced me to somebody, and I'm one of those type of people, I never say no to a conversation. I, I feel like if somebody felt mm-hmm. it was important enough to introduce them to me, I need to take the time to find out why. Yeah. And it doesn't always work out, but most of the time it does. And so this time somebody had introduced me to another recruiter, and I'm like, why do I need to talk to another recruiter? You know? Yeah, aren't they a competitor? Very much competitor. <laughs> you know, not in the same uh, demographic, but yeah. still, I'm just like, I, I know how to recruit. So anyway, I'm talking to this lady, and we start to talk and she's like, well, I have to tell you before we get started, I'm not recruiting anymore. I retired from that. And I was like, oh, okay, what are you doing? And she goes, well, I'm actually running my, um, helping my husband with his printing business. Now, why this is important is because I was looking for a printer for my book that I was wow. about to publish. Wow. And it's a journal and I wanted it coil, coil bound. So it's very specific things. And I was like, what are you working on right now? And she goes, well, I just set up and I have a prototype here. She held up another journal that was coil bound and she said, yeah, this is a journal we're working on for one of our clients. And I'm like, hired. Very cool. Yeah. That, that is a great you never know story. That's a you never yeah, know. Yeah. So you yeah. always have those conversations. Yeah. So, but this isn't about me. This is about you. So tell me a little bit about yourself. How'd you get started? And, you know, about molecular testing and about Summit. Tell me everything. Yeah, so I'm an engineer by training. I took uh, aerospace and biomedical uh, engineering specialties. And I just wanted to get in something, a field that was meaningful. I ended up going in aerospace for 25 years. Oh, wow. And uh, got through a lot of big companies uh, and led a company that was acquired by Boeing called ABL. 
uh, was the CEO there, got into Boeing, led strategy for Boeing Global Services. And then what I realized is that I really enjoyed helping other companies and I was a, I consider myself a builder. And so I started helping nonprofits on the side and then got into small and mid-sized companies on the side and then realized that's really how I can leverage my strengths to go help others. So founded Summit in 2018 and created a program to help companies scale. And, uh, and so I still have that going on the side. Shelly runs that now. Mm -hmm. One of the first uh, programs that we ran was with molecular testing labs. And where I was out with Summit to create economic equity, trying to level the playing field to help businesses grow five, 10, 20 million, uh, molecular testing labs is focused on health equity in creating access to diagnostic testing through all the assays and tests that we run in our lab and creating access to that through uh, home collect kits and to get out, get to where people are. And you know, 70% of, uh, of care, uh, the care journey is informed by diagnostic testing and a lot of people don't do it. And therefore they end up on the wrong path and it leads to poor health mm -hmm. outcomes. And so a really important part of our healthcare system and so it was just a natural fit then when they needed, uh, they were looking for somebody to come in and bring them to the next level. Love their mission, love the, the people there, the, the company. And uh, so, yeah, I now took that uh, CEO role in August of last year. So now you're doing, now you're, but you still participate with Summit, right? I do, yeah. So now okay. my, my primary focus is molecular testing labs and, and really helping them achieve their vision and mission and engaging with that team. I still do summit coaching uh, on the side. We have other coaches now. Shelly runs the business, uh, doing a lot to try to still help support our mission, which is around economic equity. And then I sit on a couple board seats as well. That's a lot. Yeah. And I just have to go back to engineer. Engineer. So I, what that leads to in business is interesting. <laughs> so I have an engineering mindset to deconstructing businesses, yes. right? Which then break it down into the, you know, the lowest common denominator, which has proved helpful to help, uh, help engage people in understanding, you know, where, what does your business look like? How can you break that down to let people engage in different parts of it and mm -hmm. figure out, diagnose the issues and then, you know, figure out what the solutions are. I actually had an engineer on here not too long ago that was an engineer mindset coach. Hmm. And I'm like, how did you get from there to there? And it was really interesting because the people that she serves, and I can't remember what she called it, but it was like, she worked in the aerospace industry too. And she would call them, like when you have to go in and solve a problem and a situation, I can't remember. But anyway, it was very interesting. But basically she took what she learned doing, fixing the problems yeah. and used it to kind of deconstruct what was getting in people's ways yes, in yeah. th their mindsets. Yeah, a lot of that is systems thinking. And mm -hmm. so everything is part of a bigger system. And so yes. you've got to understand that. And that, that's a lot of what engineering teaches you. So I think it, it, it is an interesting perspective to bring to any business situation. Well, and the other thing she did was she added the neurolinguistics on top <laughs> of it. And so she really put the science behind hmm. why we think the way we do. Very and cool. deconstructed it that way, which was yeah. a little bit different because, you know, like when I talk about mindset, I tend to go to the woo-woo. Yes. Yes, just manifest it, you know? <laughs> right. And she's like, no, this is why you can manifest yes. it. You yeah. know? So I thought that was a really interesting take. Yeah, I love it. So, yeah. and, but, uh, you know, my dad's an engineer. I don't know if I told you that. No. Yes. What kind of engineer are you? Uh, mechanical. He's electrical. Okay. So they're very close, right? They're very close. You know, I like mechanical, I think, because I like to more hands-on. Electrical yep. is, is definitely a lot of theory and things you can't see. He does um, a lot of that. But yeah, both, you know, the first couple of years of either one is similar. Last couple of years is where you get a little bit more specific. Gotcha. So 
based on everything you've done and what you've learned, you've poured that into Summit. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the services that you guys offer and what can companies benefit from those? Yeah, so it started with the a lot of small and mid-sized companies can't afford McKinsey to come in and do their strategy. Yes. Where at Boeing, I could, right? I've worked with McKinsey and Accenture and Bain and BCG and all the brilliant minds out there. And you end up doing these elaborate strategies with a ton of research to inform where to go and why. And smaller companies can afford that. So we wanted to, to bring some of those tools to small businesses mm -hmm. to allow them to break through barriers because one of them is just, you know, where to play and how to win, right? Classic strategy questions. And then we realized that to, to execute a strategy, it requires organizational development and a healthy organization. And so that's where the business building comes into play. So strategy, and then how do you execute that? How do you build the organization to support your growth? And that is what became the business scaling method. And so we, and then we had a bunch of different types of programs. We found the most effective are a workshop where we work with a company for a day or two with their executive team and walk through a process to, of discovering their strategy and figuring out how to implement. A mini workshop where you have a bunch of companies that come together for a half a day and work together on a couple issues. Mm -hmm. Or a cohort where you're working through that whole process to really reprogram your business, to pursue a different strategy, figure out what you need to focus on, and then engage the rest of your team. And so when you do your cohorts, uh, well, let me back that up with a different question first. What is the smallest business you will help? Uh, we generally say 2 million, 20 or more employees because one of the, there's a lot of incubators out there, accelerators, mm -hmm. venture capital going into startups. And there are a lot of great programs there, right? So we're, we're not the best at that. We've got tools that can help. But where we really uh, start to make a big impact is when you have to hire that next level of leaders. So now you're the owner, founder, creator. Now you need to delegate that out to another layer of leaders. And then you need to create leaders that are developing the other leaders in the company. And now you're leading an organization that where you know, culture eats strategy for lunch. Now that that organization has to execute, that's where, that's our sweet spot. When you're now building an organization to get you to the next level, that's the starting point for where our tools are specifically built. So me with my two-person company doesn't qualify yet. <laughs> no, I mean, we, we've got things that can help, but there's probably other people that can yeah. help you more, right? To yeah, do that. It, it, mine's very, very infant stage. So I, I definitely am not quite to the two million, almost. Yeah, I'm just kidding, yeah. not even close, <laughs> yeah. not even close. Um, okay, so tell me about when you first started in your career. Did you know what you were gonna do? I mean, did you know from the day you signed up for college what you were gonna do? Absolutely not. Okay. Um, so I, all I knew was that engineering would be a good foundation. That's okay. all, I knew I, I wanted to do something big and important. I knew I wanted to um, you know, do something meaningful. I think thought engineering would be a good foundation. When I got out of school, I had exposure to aerospace and biomedical. Those were two amazing fields, advanced technology. That's why I wanted to go one of those two paths and I just happened to go aerospace right from the start. But other than that, uh, I, I did not know. I, I figured engineering as a baseline and then pick an industry that I, I felt I would enjoy. That's a lot. Actually, that's a lot more than, because like I said, I work with the young executives. That's a lot further along than some of them, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. because they just don't know what they don't know yet, right? Yeah. So when it comes to, you know, beginning a career, and like we just talked about, it can be confusing sometimes for these young people, you know, and especially to know their long-term goals, because I will tell you, I'm on my second career. I mm -hmm. totally chose wrong. My, every assessment I've ever done since I started doing assessments says I chose wrong. Why didn't they give me that before? Yeah, yeah. I went into that career. Yeah. But fortunately, I was able to make that 
you know, switch mid-career and become aligned with what I love to do. So that's good thing. At least I finally found it. But, you know, what are the benefits? Like if you were talking to younger you, what are the benefits of creating a vision and creating alignment? Yeah, I think the, the first part of your career is really about figuring out your strengths, what you enjoy, what you're good at, what gives you energy. And, and I didn't know this, but I ended up creating like five-year mini careers and thinking back, I'm like, okay, I, I set a four or five-year goal, tried to achieve that, and I dove in. And, and through that process, probably that second five years, I realized my strength was more big picture systems thinking. And so I started out in design engineering, right? To, I could sit there and design a bracket for a year. And you know, after a while, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is I can't do this anymore. And then as I got into the big picture systems thinking, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so starting out is just try a bunch of different things and figure out what your strengths are, what you like and what you don't like, and then find where you get energy and meaning. Mm. And the last, I talked to so many people that, you know, they're 10, 20 years in their career and they were giving me guidance like you're, you're never it's just a job you're never going to like it what no that's not okay I, no. i'm not going in with that mindset and what you don't want to do is is look back 10 or 20 years from now and think you know what the heck did i do why why am i here not rewarding at all and so if you can spend the first part of your career figuring out your strengths and then work your way towards a path of finding something that you find rewarding or meaningful to work on then no matter what you do, right, it, it's going to be energizing and you can build on that. That is such great advice. Where were you 20 years ago? Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I didn't know that too. I made I went all over the place early in my career, but I figured that out along the way. It's so true, you know, yeah. and I think that we need to give ourselves some grace sometimes, or I'm not us because we're past that, but I think people that are starting out in their career, you know, and I was one of them. I stuck with a career because I was like, all right, this is what I chose. This is what I chose. So I did it for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And when I finally got into that career where I was aligned with my passions, I was in my genius zone. Mm -hmm. I tell everybody all the time, I never work a day in my life. I love what I do. I get to go to work. Yes. I don't yep. have to go to work. Yep. You know? Yeah. That's what we're striving for. Yeah. Absolutely. And yep. so what is... So we talked about the creating the vision and alignment, right? Um, but what would you, like, if, again, going back to your younger self, if you had to say, this is one thing I wish I had done, like when it comes to creating that vision. So how did you create those little five-year mini visions? What what prompted you? Did you have a mentor, a coach? Uh, early on, I did not. I just, I worked hard. I, I think my... My strength early on was just I had a dad that worked hard his whole career, and I you know never took a sick day. Not that that's a good thing, but uh, so I went Did into my career. Did you never miss a day of school either? Uh, maybe one. Really? Yeah, and that's just the you, you work hard, you right? You put in the work, and and so I believed in that, and so I started out just working hard, and um, it turns out that that was a good thing, right? And then I figured out a lot of things early on. Um, but yeah, I, be willing to pivot early on, right? Because you're going to run into things you don't do. You know, a lot of th things I, I tell my kids is like, don't be a tourist. If you're going to do something, do it well. Oh, and I love if, that. If we start a season, we finish a season, and then we move on. 
you know, but, you know, don't be a tourist and jump in and out because that, that that's not helpful in most parts of life. Yeah, and you're not going to be fulfilled at all. I was, right. I was just having lunch with a young executive right before we came in to record, and that was one of the things that I really admired about her because I'm the type of person, just like you just said, but I love the term, don't be a tourist because mm-hmm. I'm so not a tourist. Like, you can't get rid of me once I decide right. I like yeah. you. Yeah, you know? if you're going to do it, dive in <laughs> yeah. and do it. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I, and so, but I've also learned to be very careful where I commit my time. Yeah. Because I do go so all in. So I have to have those very clear boundaries too. But that was one of the things I was talking to her about because she was, I'd asked her to do a project and she goes, I need to think about this because if I agree to do it, I'm going to give you 150%. Yeah. Yeah. And I need to make sure that I have time capabilities to do that for you because I don't want to do it halfway. And I really respected that. Yeah, that's a really important point. So this year, you know, I usually set my yearly goals on some of its personal development, some of its professional. This year, I spent a lot, a lot of time identifying what I'm not going to do anymore. <gasps> oh, that's a great I, idea. I, well, I, I read a quote somewhere or something that said, okay, that's a really good idea. I need to do this. And so I walked out. And, you know, an example of that, I've been kind of dabbling with guitar for a long time. I always wanted to learn. I'm like, okay. Not going to worry about that this year. It's just consuming time. I want to focus on other things. So mark that down, X that off, not spending time on that. And so I cleared the deck on a few things that then allows me, gives me some more space to do other things. And then I don't feel bad about not trying to do it. That is so good, you know, because I'm one of those type of people. I get up and I journal every morning, right? And I, one of the things I do is I write down my calendar for the day because I, there's so much power in writing, right? Yeah, on yeah. paper, not typing. Totally agree. On paper. And so I write it down. And one of the things that I was telling myself when I first started doing this is like, if you write it down, you have to do it. Yeah. And then things change throughout the day. And I'm like, oh, but I got to do this. And then I would just beat myself up about not having done that one thing. Yeah. And so I have finally, it's not that I'm still very careful about what I put on my calendar. I want to make sure that I can get to it, that it makes sense and all that. But I do give myself some grace that if something comes up and I need to boot that to the next day or just eliminate it completely. Yeah. Yeah. I get to make that decision and not feel bad about it. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have some agility in there to move around. Yeah. I went from being so like (laughs) non-structured to going the complete opposite way, just thinking that was going to help me get more done. Mm -hmm. And now I've kind of landed somewhere in the middle. Yeah. That productivity thing of just, you know, checking off lists and powering through the day, that really doesn't necessarily get you anywhere. Yeah. I've learned you got to do the right things. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. Yes. And, and again, give yourself grace. If it's not yes. time, then mark it off. You know, one other thing, just because we're on that, now I'm thinking of what I'm not going to do. You know, I get a lot of calls to go to events and, you know, especially in the evenings. And one of the things I'm really setting a boundary with for this, at least this quarter, is not doing more than two events a week. Hmm. It's too much. Yeah, yeah. It can be draining. And, and if you're drained, you don't do your best work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I got to sleep. Yeah. Totally agree. So, all right. So what advice? Now, I told you I made a career shift, right? A very drastic. So I went from accounting into recruiting. Yeah. It's pretty drastic. Yeah. Yeah. And so what advice would you give to someone that is looking to make a mid-career shift? Like you've devoted your whole life to this and now you're going to be but but I'm going to go do this and I'm not going to use this anymore. Yeah, I think the I think what is underappreciated is when you develop a skill set. So for me in aerospace and engineering, right, that gives me a mindset and a different set of skills than other people maybe in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And so when I made that pivot, what I, I spent some time thinking about, okay, what can I bring 
to these problems that are unique to my perspective. And that's the body of knowledge that you've built up over time. And so if you're gonna make that pivot, sit down and think about, okay, what did I, what are the skills that I developed that are transferable that help me bring a unique perspective to the problem or whatever I'm gonna do next? And that helps you be more authentic, it helps you be you, you leverage your strengths, there's some continuity in the things that you really enjoy doing and what you're good at. And it, uh, and it will help you succeed, I think. And I, I don't think we always talk about that. You're looking for, you know, if you're hiring for people, a lot of times we look for specific mm -hmm. experience, but that diverse experience brings, you know, just as much, sometimes more to the equation, but you gotta, you know, think through what that is for you. What is that unique perspective that you bring? I, now, so that's very true because, you know, I say, say I had a complete shift, but I went from doing accounting to recruiting accounting. Yeah, yeah. So I'm able to talk to those hiring managers and say, okay, what is it you really need? Yeah. You know, tell me. What, what are we ticking and tying this month? You yeah. know? Yeah. Not even yeah. that I want to tick and tie. Oh my gosh, that makes that makes me cringe just saying it. <laughs> right. I'm so don't ever want to. coming up to tax season. So. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't ever want to do that again. So you deal a lot with the executive leadership level. Yeah. That's primarily who you deal with, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, so how much does the executive leadership affect their team, good or bad? Hugely, um, both ways. And you don't, you don't always realize the impact that you have as a leader, especially if you grow up founder owner, building a mm. business, or even if you rise fast in a large company, you don't realize the impact that you have on other people, good or bad. And so a couple things that I, I found unique is one, you got, always got to lead by example, right? You've yep. got to demonstrate values. You don't have to have all the answers. You got to have humility and listen to others and bring perspectives to the table. But the one thing that resonated with me that I've seen is culture, I think, forms around what you accept. And so if you're an executive and you have behavior or things going on in your organization, that's a reflection of what you accept in your company and the culture forms around that, good or bad. And so I, I wow. find that to be a helpful exercise to think about what are the behaviors you're accepting yes. and what is that telling the organization? And it shows up in all kinds of different unhealthy ways. The, what I love about executives is that similar in terms of the impact that they make, you have the chance to create an environment every day where people can be their best. Yes. Right. And so if you just think about, am I, you know, at the end of the day, I was just talking about this with one of my leaders today because it, it helps me a lot. If I'm ever down, I, I come back to what am I doing to help other people be better? What am I doing to help others be their best? And what did I do to help create a, an environment and organization that allows people to be their best? And the leaders that figure that out mm. are the ones that excel because it's the team. It's not the, you know, I, I'm not a believer that it's the single leader that solves big issues. I think it's the leaders that can engage an organization and in broad coalitions that, that solve big problems. Wow, you just really took me back down memory lane with that story. And I'm not going to share it because it would probably be too obvious. <laughs> but it was just like exactly what you were just saying. I was like, that's why I can't be at that place anymore. You yeah. know? Yeah. It's because those kind of behaviors were tolerated. And the culture was just very, I mean, we could go down a whole rabbit hole here. But I'm, I'm assuming that's how toxic environments get built. Yes. Yeah. One bad behavior at a time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. One acceptance of bad behavior. And, and one of the biggest things I think leaders need is self-awareness. And so you sometimes you don't even realize that about yourself. And so if you're not having others give you candid, honest feedback, you know, and closed door, wherever you're comfortable, then you probably have some blind, we all have blind spots. Sure. Right? You need somebody that's telling you, hey, this is how you're coming off in this situation. I just want you to know. And then you got to be able to internalize that and think about, okay, 
wow, that's not good. What am I going to do differently? Right. And when people see you do that, they'll be willing to do that themselves. So interesting. So interesting. So I want to bring it back to networking just real quick. And I know that's kind of, we went from deep, so I'm going to lighten it yeah, up just yeah. a little bit because that was, that really took me back there for a second. But when it comes to networking, all right, I have a job by now, not looking for a job. Should I be networking? Um, yes. So I, th so here's how I think about networking. Really important. I think, um, in the bad times when you're going challenges mm -hmm. or transition, you need a network to pull on as a sounding board, resources, whatever support you need. In the good times, that's the time to give back to a network. And that's when you build up that reciprocity and, 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 and build strong relationships yes. to be there for people. And so I think it, it's got to ebb and flow. If you're doing well, you're not in a transitionary period, look for ways to give back through your network and you know find other other ways to network to make other connections. So I'm a huge fan of that and that's kind of how I've viewed it uh, recently. I'm not always good at that, but yeah. Well, I, one of the things that I tell, you know, people when I'm engaging with them, they're like, oh, I don't need to network, I got a job. And I'm like, but you might not always. Yeah. And right. you don't want to be that person in the room that's only networking because you need a job now. Yeah. You, you, you need to build those relationships so that, like you said, so that you're giving and taking. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so important. You know, what's one piece of advice that you would give to someone to help them succeed and be as successful as you? The, you know, the the thing that resonated most and what I'm trying to teach my kids is grit. Ooh. And so Angela Duckworth, Duckworth wrote a book on grit. And I, and I believe it's, it's the persistence over time in pursuit of a greater good or a common goal, mm -hmm. right? And, and developing grit, I think, is really important. It's, it's keep persisting through the challenges. And there was a quote I love from Robert Kiyosaki that I read the other day oh, that uh, that I wrote down uh, just thinking about it. And it is, losers quit when they fail, winners fail until they succeed. Mm. And I shared that with my boys. I'm like, what do you think about this? And, and what I what I want to show them is it's okay to fail, right? Yes. It, at some point, you've got to fail a bunch of times, and that's how you develop the the will and the grit and the the lessons to succeed in the future. And, um, and so that is, you know, having grit, being willing to fail, jumping in is, uh, I, I think, maybe one of the most important skills in life. I love that. I love that so much. Um, I'll tell you another quick story, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. So I was not your traditional high school student, and I raced dirt bikes. So I did cross country, not mm. the motocross, the cross country. And that was one of the very first things my dad taught me. And it just made me think of that when you were saying that, that grit, you've got to fail. When I would fall down, and the first time I was like, Dad, pick it up. And he's like, you pick it up. <laughs> right, I was like, yeah. and I was riding a 125, you know, and I yep. was not big. So, but I just, that really was my dad teaching me to, you're, you can do this. Yep. You pick it up. Yep. I'm not always going to be there. It, yeah, and it teaches you a fundamental belief in yourself. Yes. That is, that you need. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> this has been a ton of fun. And you know, the time flies so quickly. So I want to get to our VIP questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. I, I love to hear the answers to these okay. questions. Everybody has a little different take on them. So if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? So I'm going to assume that we've got the basics covered like food mm -hmm. and water. Um, and if that's the case, the, I, I think the first thing would be an astrophysicist like Neil deGrasse Tyson. Okay. That could explain what the heck is going on. You know, what are, <laughs> what is that, right? That, that would be able to give some insight. 
Uh, second would be like a builder, inventor, like an Elon Musk, because there's going to be all kinds of things that we're trying to figure out. We're going to have to, we're going to need new solutions to solve it. Elon's probably already going to be there. He, yes, he's probably, <laughs> probably the first person there. Um, and then the last, the last one I think is probably a doctor in probably like integrative medicine, the non-traditional medicine, because we're going to be dealing with all kinds of different stuff. Yeah. And that's going to require a non-traditional view of what the heck is happening to my body. And so I think I'd want somebody to be able to help me with that. But in, and then I'd want those people to be, you know, good team players, people that I'm going to enjoy being with, because it sounds very lonely Aww. being the first colonist <laughs> on Mars. I noticed, well, what was it? All right. So what is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? I do all of my creative thinking in the morning. And so I get up, I have a cup of coffee, I go into my office and I do any strategic thinking. If there's a big problem I'm trying to figure out, I'll, I'll think about that. It might even whiteboard. I'll do writing if I've got writing to do. And I do that before I read email, before I jump into anything, because the as soon as I start doing everything else, my mind is distracted and yep. I feel like I, you know, I kind of lose sight of that. And so I can get into the zone and kind of that deep work zone in the morning for an hour or two. And so first thing I do every morning is, is pick something important to think about and, and I do that. I love that. I love that. That's my, that's my creative time too. Mm. And I'm very protective of my mornings. Like, yes. And yeah. I don't check emails and I don't answer texts. Yeah. And it's, it's different for different people yep. at different times of the day, but yeah, morning is my time. Me too. Sure. Me too. So if your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? So I think it would be something around, I love the quote, I've got it hanging on my wall and I have sometimes handed it out from Theodore Roosevelt, man in the arena. Oh. And the quote is to the effect of, it's not the critic who counts, it's the person in the arena, blood, sweat and tears, trying and trying and failing and trying and failing over and over again, doing something meaningful in, you know, in, in, in trying to make a difference. And I always consider myself, uh, you know, I, I want roll up my sleeves, dive in. I want to be a doer. I want to try things. I'm, I'm okay failing. I want to teach that to my kids, you know, but that, that quote, it'd be something around, you know, man in the arena uh, and how I was able to pass that on to my family, my kids. And, uh, and just to don't, don't be the person on the sidelines, jump in, do the work, be okay failing. We'll be there for you and, uh, and do something important. I'm going to add something to your title. Yeah. Don't be a tourist. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah that's good too. Yeah, I, I really love that. I'm so going to steal that from you because yeah. I think it's really good advice. So how do people get in touch with you? How do they find Summit? What's the best way? Uh, so probably our website, summit.com, S-U-M-M-I-7.com. The, the seven is representative of the peaks, tallest peaks on seven continents, oh. which is, a, you know, we have world aspirations to help people, you know, in their journey to climb. Um, you know, check us out on LinkedIn. We're on all the social media, but summit.com is one. And then uh, Shelly Howlett uh, also, who's here in, in Dallas, yes. is our president. And, and uh, you can email Shelly at Shelly at summit.com, S-H-E-L-L-I, uh, and uh, connect with her. And she's always happy to reach out, and especially if you're business looking for help or just guidance. And, and we do all kinds of things just to help people and engage. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. I just have one last thing to say to you, though. You are a VIP. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. I am now. <laughs> and that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. 
To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.